Hello, my name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. Welcome back. I am so excited to start off Season 2. We've got an amazing two-part episode, so please keep listening. I'm super, super excited for this. It's been in the works for pretty much since I realized that I wanted to keep podcasting past my senior honors project. I knew that this was an episode that I wanted to create. And finally, after several months of scheduling, we got everybody into the studio, and I'm just so beyond excited. When I decided I wanted to do a nutrition podcast for my senior honors project, I knew that there were a lot of other aspects of health and wellness and really college life and university life that I wanted to cover. And so this season is going to be a lot more general health and wellness, some specific nutrition episodes, but then just a lot of other hopefully really interesting topics. I'm super excited to dive in. We'll be updating every Monday with a new episode, so stay tuned. If you really like what you're hearing, go ahead and leave me a review and rating on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on, and be sure to follow me at Feed That Nation on Instagram and find my blog, feedthatnation.com. Something that a, a lot of people might not know about me is that when I was 20, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome. And what this means is that my ovaries, uh, part of my reproductive system, um, instead of doing what they're supposed to do, they tend to grow these little fluid-filled cysts. That's where the polycystic of this condition comes from. And this is both caused by hormonal issues and produces some hormonal issues. And for a long time growing up, I didn't even really know that there was anything wrong with me. I just thought that, oh, everyone has irregular periods, right? Or, oh, everyone has acne. It's just a thing, and it wasn't until I was 20, and we'll get to this in the episode later on, that I realized something was pretty wrong with me, and finally I was diagnosed with PCOS, and my world started to make sense again, and it was kind of difficult to navigate being diagnosed with a chronic illness. Granted, this chronic illness doesn't impact every aspect of my day-to-day the way chronic illnesses impact some people but it was quite an adjustment to have to make as a college student and as a young adult. So I wanted to do an episode talking about managing chronic illness as a young adult, and so I brought in three friends of mine, I've met them in different areas of my life, who all have different chronic illnesses, and I brought them together so that we could have a really excellent roundtable, fun interview, discussion, conversation, learning from each other, learning about each other, and discussing what we've learned about managing chronic illness. In this episode, you're going to hear from my friend Rose, who I met at St. Kate's. We were both RAs together a few years ago, and Rose has type 1 diabetes. You're also going to hear from Shauna, one of my very dear friends. We met working together at a summer camp a couple of years ago, and Shauna was recently diagnosed with Meniere's disease. And then you're going to hear from Annalisa, who is a friend of mine in my dietetics classes, who was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS. They will introduce themselves a little bit later on, but just wanted to set that up so you guys go into this episode and part two of this episode feeling awesome. So here we go. So I'm super excited to have three awesome guests in the studio today. We're all going to be talking about chronic illnesses, diseases, and conditions, and I'm not even going to get into introductions because you guys can do that way better than I can. So Annalisa, why don't you go first? Tell us who you are. I'm Annalisa Waki. I'm a senior dietetic student with Natalie. And um, so I am just 
on the journey of IBS. So I'll talk a little bit about that. So, yeah. Yeah. Shauna. I am Shauna. I am 23 years old. I graduated last May with a bachelor's in communications and minor in marketing. And I just moved to Minnesota from Texas. And I will be talking about Meniere's disease. I'm Rose. I'm 21. I am um, a senior here at St. Kate's in biology and political science. And I'm a type 1 diabetic. Awesome. So let's get into each of that a little bit. Um, Rose, why don't you go first? Because I think your chronic illness is something people have at least heard of before. So why don't you yeah. give us just a brief rundown? Okay. Uh, well, my pancreas doesn't like me. Um, <laughs> uh, so about five years ago, it'll be five years in July, um, I was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic, which means that my pancreas doesn't produce insulin at the same rate as normal people. So that means that I can't break down sugars and carbohydrates like everybody else. And the way they figured it out was kind of strange. I was having a really great summer. I went to France with my French club. I went to intensive music camp because I'm a dork dork. And, um, uh, and I was showing the, the traditional signs of being a type 1 diabetic um, in going into what's called diabetic ketoacidosis, where your blood actually acidifies and starts liquidifying your muscle and fat. So I was drinking copious amounts of water, and I was eating a lot, but I was losing weight really quickly, and that's because your body's really wanting nutrition, but it can't absorb it. I was really tired because my body was doing like 19 jobs, when I was like, no, I need to do one. And it, I was really irritable because I was ending up with really low blood sugars and then really high blood sugars. And so it was just this continuation of all this. And right before I went on my college tour, because it was right before my senior year, my mom's like, you need to go get your annual physical. You're acting kind of weird. Things aren't going well. So they walked in after uh, doing just like your normal physical stuff and was like, honey, you're spilling sugar. And I was like, I have no idea what that means. Um, and they're like, your blood sugar is about 500. Your blood sugar is supposed to be about 100. And so then I ended up having to go into the ICU to get those ketones taken down and to a normal level. And then I went on a roller coaster of learning everything type 1 diabetic. And a lot of it is just like diet, exercise, and education. Mm-hmm. And that was about five years ago, you said? Yeah, we five years on July 22nd. So you're the veteran in the room. <laughs> you've, you've had your condition way longer than any, any else of us. So, Shauna, why don't you go next? So I was diagnosed with Meniere's disease back in August of 2018. I've probably had it for four to six years before that, but I got the official diagnosis <laughs> a lot more recently. And basically what Meniere's disease is, is it's an inner ear disorder that can affect either one or both of your ears. Right now, my right ear is my affected ear. And what happens is your ear can't flush out the fluid in it. And so all of that fluid builds up, builds up, builds up, and it pushes on all of those nerves in there. And so it causes vertigo, dizziness, tinnitus, so ringing in the ears, ear fullness, pain, headaches, nausea, vomiting and fatigue and over time it damages your balance system and it causes hearing loss and it's managed a lot of different ways and everybody reacts to different treatments differently and some people have to go a more 
easy route, which is what I'm on right now, and then other people, they have to tackle it, and sometimes it can get as extreme as you sever all of the nerves in the inner ear and then just completely destroy the balance system so that you don't have to deal with any of those symptoms anymore. But it's, it's a whirlwind. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that was about eight months ago, you said? Back in August, yeah. Mm -hmm. And how about you, Annalisa? So I'm the most recent, so mine was kind of a half diagnosis because I'm not 100% sure as of yet, but um, January 2019 over J-term. And so um, I have IBS or irritable bowel syndrome, which is an intestinal disorder causing pain in the abdomen, gas, diarrhea, and constipation. Lovely. Yeah, it's awesome, especially when you're sitting all day. Um, so yeah, I first kind of realized that I, that something was wrong when I had this like huge abdominal distension and a lot of bloating and, um, a lot of gas and would have that kind of everybody's felt it where that, um, urgent, like need to go to the bathroom. Now you start feeling all these like kind of abdominal movement. And so I was like, this isn't right. It's happening like every day and it's just really uncomfortable. Um, and so I was like, this is weird because, you know, being a dietetic student, you know, we're not like superhuman, we you know, eat normally too, but generally you're watching your diet, so you're going, what's wrong? Um, so I went in and had a kind of a colonoscopy, and they're like, yeah, so you probably, it's not anything like more serious, like a, um, like a cancer or something like colon cancer, so um, most likely it is something like uh, IBS, and so we're gonna do some more testing as to the specific type, because I feel like it kind of fluctuates, so I might be a mix between constipation um, diarrhea, which is not fun and super fun to say over the radio. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that kind of has to be figured out uh, with an elimination diet, so that's really fun, so it's bare bones. Um, and the weird thing about the uh, diet for it, the treatment, which is like a FODMAP diet, and it, you know, works for some people, but um, it's a therapeutic kind of uh, anti-inflammatory diet. And so there's certain things in um, foods that don't ferment well, don't sit well in your, um, your gut and your intestines, and that will cause all these uh, symptoms. And the symptoms can be just gas, or they can be full-blown diarrhea, pain, everything. Um, so it's really hard to figure that out, and especially going into your senior semester, your very last semester, I'm like, I can't do an elimination diet while going through finals and everything. So um, it's been interesting trying to figure out what uh, is kind of causing this. Mm -hmm. And I think, because we learned about IBS in our classes, yeah. and the thing about it is that you kind of just rule out everything else, and right. IBS is your consolation prize, so right. you don't have ulcerative colitis, which is right. great. You don't yeah. have Crohn's, you don't have celiac, yeah. but you get to the end of the road and you're just still sick. Right. There's no like clear-cut clear diet where it's like you can't have gluten or you can't have lactose. Yeah. It is a bunch of random things. Like The one I like to tell people about is like you can't have honey, but you can have maple syrup. And you're going, what? You know, what? <laughs> What is the deal there? And so it's just little different tweaks where like, you know, most of the beans, and I love beans, they're um, really, really high in that starch that's gonna ferment um, and cause gas, but I can have like green beans and I'm just like, okay. So it's just, it's complicated. And again, some, some people may not have um, terrible symptoms and it's all about portion sizing. So what will work for some person or some people won't work for another. So they can't have a definitive diet of like, this is gonna work for everyone. So yeah. it's an adventure. It is an adventure, it sounds very adventurous. Yes. So Annalisa and Shauna both already covered the, or sorry, Annalisa and Rose 
got too many people in this room. <laughs> Annalisa and Rose already talked a little bit about their own diagnosis stories, but Shauna, why don't you go into yours? So Natalie was actually at the peak of mine when I almost died in her dorm room. Yeah. And we, we were hanging out one night and I was staying over and I woke up at about 7 a.m. on July 21st and was so dizzy that I could physically not move and I was just sweating profusely and like I was just so weak I couldn't speak and so I couldn't ask or say anything to Natalie I just couldn't and every movement I made just made it worse and about 20 minutes in I vomited which woke Natalie up and Natalie being the rock star she is immediately took my temperature and was trying to figure out what was going on and I couldn't verbalize at the time that I was just experiencing dizziness and vertigo and I think about an hour into it is when I finally said I'm dizzy and from there it didn't get better. I continued vomiting and this went on for about four hours and hour three she called her brother and best friend to get me to urgent care and urgent care gave me some wonderful medicine and basically like prescription dramamine. Pretty much. And Zofran, you know, no nausea and I had vomited so much that there was some blood in the vomit and they were they were like, We really need to Mm -hmm. stop this and she told me you have to go see an ENT and I've had I've had problems with my right ear ever since I was a child. So this is kind of the thing that pushed me to actually go to an ENT. And it's very similar to IBS where there's not one test where mm-hmm. they can say, yes, this is Meniere's. Mm-hmm. You do a series of tests and then they rule out all of the other things that could be. So, hey, it's not brain cancer. Great. It's not this, you know, what the blood work says. And they do the hearing test because your hearing loss, whether it's with bass tones, mid tones, or high pitched tones, kind of also determines whether or not you may have Meniere's. And so they did all of these tests and said, well, it's pretty much textbook Meniere's. So we're going with Meniere's, we're going to treat it like it's Meniere's, and they diet-wise, you're recommended to do a low-sodium diet, so staying around or below 1,500 milligrams a day, and then depending on the person that they may or may not be sensitive to sodium, the one that I always like to say is I can't have chocolate because chocolate is actually a really big trigger for me, and some people it's not, but... It's interesting because you kind of think, well, why chocolate of all things? But because of the amount of insulin chocolate makes your body produce, guess what insulin's full of? Sodium. Mm -hmm. So you also have to do a lot of that, figuring out what's going to help you manage and what's not, and listening to other people who have it, but acknowledging that what's working for them might not always work for me. So thank you, Natalie, for taking wonderful care of me. (laughs) It was was a very exciting day. It's not the word I would use. <laughs> so, Shauna, you've been managing yours through just different diets, balancing your sodium, figuring out what foods make it worse and which ones don't. And on Elisa, you've also had to do a lot of that, mm, yep. which sounds like it sucks. <laughs> and I think, Rose, there's, with type 1 diabetes, a sort of stigma that a lot of people have where oh, type yeah. 1 diabetics can't eat sugar, they can't eat dessert, they can't eat anything fun. So why don't what? you break that down? Yeah, um, people don't know the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Um, type 1 is genetically your body just stops making insulin um, through your pancreas. And in type 2, a lot of it, yes, there are genetic factors, but it's usually a slowdown of insulin being created by your um, pancreas because of insulin resistance and diet and exercise. Um so a lot of people 
because type 2 is so prevalent, especially in the United States, they're like, oh, well, you can't have excessive sugar, you can't do um, these different things. And it's like, no, I can have all these, but I have to do it in like maybe a smaller quantity than normal people. Um, but people have given me some interesting advice on food, and I'm like, that's very, very wrong. Um, <laughs> they're like, oh, like gluten-free will help you. And it's like, no, a lot of times gluten-free ends up being higher in carbohydrates mm. for me, or it... I don't do as well with, like, insulin control when I'm on it. Um, and a lot of it then comes down to learning how to count carbs. Um, so there are a lot of these fad diets that do a lot of, like, low-carb, high-protein don't work for me either because, like, high-protein also really affects synthetic insulin, and I won't absorb the insulin as well. So as, like, the other ones are, it's a lot of trial and error for, like, what will work for one diabetic won't work for another. So, like, for me, I've cut out a lot of, like, grains and breads because, yes, that helps me. But a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions. Like, every so often, somebody will, like, see me with my pump, and they're like, you're eating a donut. And I was like, I just really wanted a donut. Like, I'm not going to die, I promise. Like, <laughs> so there's definitely some interesting ones. Well, and with diabetes, it's, yes, I can eat a donut. I just have to make sure I'm paying attention to the number of carbohydrates in the donut yeah. so that I can give myself the insulin. What is my blood sugar? Exactly. How is that going to affect it? And a lot of it is like, okay, I've eaten this. I've given what is supposedly the right amount of carbs based off of, like, nutritional labels and past experience. But then still, it's, you, you have, like, a waiting game of, like, all right, is my blood sugar going to spike? Is it going to be too low? Is there something in here that they didn't tell me was in here? And then all of a sudden, like, that affects it. So it is a lot of trial and error. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I had this question because I think a lot of people who maybe don't understand chronic diseases, they don't understand that it doesn't affect you the same way every day. So I'll ask Annalisa first. So what does a good day look for look like for you? And then what does a bad day look like? Sure. So a good day for me would be um, all around just minimal bloating. Um, so that would just mean, because it's, it's so crazy how it happens when it um, does happen, it literally feels like you're a balloon and it just keeps going and going and going and going. And it's really uncomfortable. Um, so obviously minimal bloating, um, I would say just, uh, obviously being a regular and having a kind of a regular balance of, um, again, super fun to say, but a regular stool. And cause again, it's one or the other and both are super painful. Um, so I would say that would be through close monitoring of your diet. Um, also exercise is super huge for me. So at least a half an hour of exercise and not super intense. Um, because the more intense you go, a lot of times that will result in irritation as well. So I've been trying a lot of um, therapeutic exercise, low impact. So um, swimming and yoga have been really uh, influential. And again, the yoga is nice twisting and it's supposed to be very massaging. Um, so that's been helping a lot too. So a, a good day would be minimal bloating, just kind of your regular routine that's not um, kind of interacted, you know, poorly through um, diet and you know no migraines no pain that kind of stuff um and then bad day would be that huge abdominal distension um having to run to the bathroom multiple times feeling like another feeling is like you're never empty either and so that's really really uncomfortable um so it kind of immobilizes you for kind of the day and you just like 
that wouldn't be fun to have that at work or anything. So being a senior, that's one of the questions I have going forth into the workforce is how am I going to handle this on a day to day basis? Mm -hmm. And this is probably like really changing for you as you learn how to manage. But how many good days and bad days would you say you have in like a week? Yeah, I would say I probably have more good days now that I've been kind of figuring out um, how to manage it. I think um, the bad days are more when my cravings kind of kick up because the things that I'm noticing more that irritate me are the quantity of the bad foods. Like, I love avocados, but I went to town on some guacamole last week, and it did not work out well because I guess those are pretty high in FODMAPs. So, um, and again, it's like a predominantly like healthy food so it's not like oh my gosh this is terrible for me um so I'm noticing more the the quantity of that so I would say four or five good days and then a couple of bad days um you know alcohol also affects it too so it's really hard to then kick back with you know a couple glasses of wine on the weekend to celebrate getting your homework done and you know then paying the price the next day too so yeah yeah wow Shauna, how about you? What does a good day and a bad day look like? A, a good day for me is when my tinnitus is so quiet that I can easily ignore it. I mean, it's constantly there. It's 24-7, so it doesn't go away. But whenever it's just not so loud and the high pitch ringing almost whenever you're watching a movie and it explodes and you just hear that high pitch ringing, when that sound is not there, I count that as good. If I'm not having headaches, if my ear's not hurting, none of that then I would count it a good day where it's easier for me to listen to people and be part of conversations and get through the day without feeling like I'm unbalanced or unsteady. A bad day for me, aside from the very extreme attack that I had, but a bad day for me since I've started my medicine is the feeling of off balance or before I get dizzy, there's warning signs that my body will give me. And I just kind of have this moment where just if I'm looking at something, it'll shift and I know that that could be the onset of attack and I have emergency meds that I keep with me and so a bad day is really any day that I have to use any of my emergency medication. And Rose? Yeah, so um, a good day and a bad day can, can sometimes be together as a type 1 diabetic because you start off your day and you're in like the nice normal like your range you're great um and you feel fabulous but then you like eat something and you didn't maybe count the carbs well enough or your port is a little loose and it's not giving you as much insulin or something like that so then you can like shoot up really really high and then you feel not so great and like kind of headache and you your vision gets a little blurry and you just feel off and um and then on the other end, if you're like, oh, I want to do this really good workout, like everybody else and my friends can do it, and um, you do it, and then you end up with a really low blood sugar, and then you feel like shaky. And I like to describe it as it feels like a million bees are within my skin of just like buzzing, because you can't really explain, like, you're just kind of shaky. Um, and so like that can be on the other end if you are too high and too low. Um, but most days I am pretty good. Um, as I've gotten further into having this, it's gotten a lot better. So maybe I'll get one baddish day a week or every two weeks. But unfortunately, like my bad days can go really poorly very, very quickly if I don't either like notice it or um, it just keeps climbing in blood sugar. And then I end up like having to go to the hospital because there's no way for me to like safely deal with it on my own. And I, I need like a combination of 
insulin, sugar, and potassium all at the same time through intravenous. And that's happened at least a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Um, it happens more when I, like, I really hate flu season. People need to get their flu shots, please, um, <laughs> as an immunocompromised person. Um, so, like, then a lot of it, like, as I get sick, my blood sugar can get a lot more uncontrollable is a big problem. And, um, like, and there's nothing I can really do other than, like, take fluids and monitor it every, like, 25, 30 minutes, like, making sure. And if, if I, like, start throwing up, I have to, like, go in because they don't know how much, like, insulin's in my body at that point or, like, what's food. So it can spike and stuff like that. So I need monitoring, which it can get bad pretty quickly, but I've learned a lot over the last couple of years of how to, like, avoid those, hopefully. But there's just, like, some things that you think are just so easy, like getting a cold for normal people, that all of a sudden it's, like, no, like, I'm in bed feeling awful, like, having to check my blood sugar, being, like, oh, I have to wake myself up every, like, hour or two to make sure that I'm not too high or too low and, like, addressing that. And so... Even then, like, as you were saying, like, alcohol is really hard, too, because, like, I can't do sugary drinks that a lot of college students like. Um, So then it's like, well, when I'm out with friends, like, I can never get super drunk because it can drop my, it raises my blood sugar and then eventually drops to super duper low. And that's dangerous, especially since I live alone. (laughs) Um, So a lot of that is just, it comes back to that balance. But most days are pretty good at this point. That's good. Yeah. I mean, you have been dealing with it for five years, so. It's a a big learning curve, and a lot of it's, like, what will work for one person, it doesn't work for another person, Mm -hmm. and everyone will give you advice for free, doesn't mean the advice is good. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. Yep. So, here's a question. Anybody can answer this one. But how does your disease impact your mental health, or how has that impacted your mental health? Um, for me, it's kind of shaken my world a lot because here I am, a dietetic student, and I'm going, okay, this is going to be great. I want to be like a really good role model um, for everybody I encounter. Um, but it, it's just, it's just a part of my identity, um, what I eat. And I grew up with a lot of um, whole wheat, whole grains. And so now they're like, oh, that can be really you know, causing a lot of inflammation, and so you should probably cut back on that, do, like, more white bread and stuff like that. It's just so interesting, the different things. Um, So for my mental health, too, and, um, you know, just keeping in shape, I hate the feeling of just that uncontrollable bloating and everything. So I literally have to plan out a couple days in advance my diet to a T now that so I can like you know fit into a dress and feel good and that's really hard and then you know um, a bikini coming up here for spring and summer not that I'm you know completely um, obsessed with that but everybody likes to look their best and it's one of those things where it's like it's not my weight it's my you know because you look like you know a couple months pregnant a lot of times with that bloating Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's been really hard because you have to completely adjust your wardrobe and you're like I don't want to fit into dress pants today for my interview because they don't feel good um so it's kind of affected that because it's you don't have as much freedom Mm -hmm. for for me I've noticed uh the first thing that it impacted was really anxiety for me which is something that I mean aside from your school test you know you want to pass that kind of anxiety but after that one attack then it was for two weeks straight I was constantly dizzy constantly off balance until we started 
a medicine routine that really worked for me. And even since then, the moment I feel off, I start panicking because I also live alone. And so then I think, well, what if it gets to this point? What if it gets this bad? Is this going to happen again? And you, you start tricking yourself up with all of that. And also socially, you know, I can't just go out to eat at a restaurant whenever somebody asks. I have to plan because I can't eat, but if I'm going to, like, I have to be able to manage that differently and so have a, like, zero-sodium meal or other zero-sodium meals leading mm -hmm. up to that and because knowing that restaurant food is so high in sodium and sometimes you can't always find that information either online where they don't provide it. And so you kind of play this guessing game knowing, well, I roughly know how much sodium is in, like, hamburger buns, and I can guess here, and that can take some planning and so whenever people randomly say hey Shauna let's go out tonight and I say well I can't tonight you know this is too short notice or being so young I've noticed a lot of times when somebody asks me about something or I mentioned low sodium I always get the you're just so young to have to be on low sodium <laughs> and being like having to go through those conversations constantly and explaining it or attempting to explain it can also lead to a lot of frustration and you just feel that separation yeah yeah I feel like that summed it up really well because like you, you get that like panicky feeling that like something you know is is like wrong and then like yeah. it just feels like it's gonna spiral out of control really quickly and there are like steps you can take to like make it better but like if that for a while, you're just like, this is really throwing me off. And then it's like, well, this is like right before an exam. Because like stress also plays a factor in oh, a yeah. lot of uh, it. Yeah, definitely stress. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh my goodness, I never knew how much like stress. And like, it does make me really anxious. Of, like, these things can go drastically wrong really quickly. And then it's like, I have to educate all my friends about like, if I'm acting like this, you should probably either like, have me check my blood sugar or like, mm -hmm. give me juice or be like, no, something's wrong, like, you need to tell me, but then it's really hard to have, like, require your friends to be like, hey, like, something's not right, or as you said, like, going out to eat, you're like, all right, well, let me see if I can find the nutritional information, and then, like, because a lot of places, they'll give you, like, the main ingredients, but they don't always give you, like, every spice and everything, and they don't always have the nutritional information, especially if it's, like, a smaller, like, non-chain restaurant, so you're like, okay, well... They all want to go for Italian food, which is really high carb, and then for a lot of it in American Chinese, or Chinese um, Italian food, and so you gotta find it through that. And then like in college especially, um, a lot of people like to do pizza and like Chinese food, which like you can't do either, which is always a really like awkward like sitting eating my salad or something else when everyone else is like eating pepperoni pizza. Yeah. Um, but it definitely makes you feel kind of on the outside because you're always having to like explain your choices or people are like what's that box on your hip or um what am I wearing today like how does my pump fit onto it where is it gonna go um do I have extra supplies with me uh do I have all these backup things so the people I know or who I'm going with know how to handle if I pass out or something like that so you always have like thinking about everybody else and then you forget about yourself a lot I feel like mm -hmm. and then you're constantly like oh like let me check in on myself and you have to do a lot more like self-reflection but it doesn't always make you feel great yeah yeah there's like a certain amount of regret too that you kind yeah. of go into it going 
okay, I know this is going to interrupt my routine, but I really want to do this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really want to have that food or I really want to go out with my friends. And you're like, but I've been so good. (laughs) And it's so hard to kind of break that routine and that cycle. Um, that you had a really good point as far as um, the anxiety and the stress that goes into it. That's a whole nother, yeah. you know, it's probably the main thing with IBS too. And it's like, okay, you're going to try to eliminate stress. Okay, I'll just eliminate <laughs> yep. stress. Super easy. Sounds oh, yeah. good. <laughs> you know, it's just a weird thing. Um, and I, I guess I don't even realize how much stress that I've been carrying. And since I've been in college, I've had like two major panic attacks and, yep. you know, two or three now full body hives and like stress hives and I've never like I don't really have allergies to things and so I'm like what is this and stuff that's so minor will feel I guess to my body like oh my gosh we're gonna have a full-blown panic attack about this and you're like that it wasn't that big of a deal but I guess it's all that stuff that's been building up um so that is super weird about it I feel like that's almost been made worse Mm -hmm. that was one of the like probably the most predominant um major signs that started and I didn't even realize I had an issue and that was probably my junior year of college that I had my first like panic attack and that whole thing and I'm like oh I guess my stress is pretty high yeah it's all those like little times and you're like making little concessions of like well I can't do this as the same way that everybody else does it and you're like that doesn't make me feel great right. but like I don't want to be the spoiled sport that is like ruining it by like oh I can't do this so yeah. you're like let me like modify it but then everyone's like are you okay? Is this going to be fine? And you're like, I don't really want to have to like tell you about the concessions I have to make to do this mm-hmm. and that. And like, you're like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Like, but internally just like it all builds up until you end up with those like major panic attacks yeah. or just like breaking down crying in your floor because you're right. just having a bad day. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the stress and anxiety make the symptoms worse and, yep. and it just becomes this really vicious cycle where, you know, you're not supposed to be stressed because mm-hmm. it can increase your symptoms, but then you're stressed about the symptoms or you're stressed about where yeah. your chronic illness puts you in social situations. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it's even like the more you pay attention to your diet and your routine, the more people kind of like worry about you because yeah. um, there is so much stigma around, you know, even just careful planning of your, your diet. But if you sit there and you look at the menu and you look at the calories and you look at you know what's in it and okay what's going to be in the sauce and everything people are like are you okay like they kind of worry about like you're over managing it like is it kind of like a weight loss thing no it's to manage my symptoms and so it's that whole thing you have to kind of almost be carefree in that setting because other people will kind of worry unless they're like your good friends but I've gotten some of that reactions too they're like so do you lose a lot of weight on your low FODMAP diet and you're like no it's not it's managed it's It's maintenance yeah (laughs) and that it was was an interesting conversation I had with my endocrinologist recently that there are specific like um uh, what is it like eating disorders that are specific to like chronic illnesses mm-hmm. like diabetes has one and um, i think like, you know, it's just time because like, you have to this is how much so like i can have the quarter of a cup because i know a quarter yeah. of a cup will be fine but if i have more than that it's going to start mm-hmm. bad things but then it like we a lot of times you gain a lot of weight on like synthetic insulin and like it it's such a balance because like your meds can have like weird effects on you mm-hmm. other places and then they're like and people are, like are you having an eating disorder? Are like, you okay? Like, yeah. you're always, like, measuring and weighing your food, and, like, is that a problem? And you're like, no, I just, like, need to be okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to explain to people. Yeah. I think the medications 
is something that's impacted me. I haven't even like talked about this. We've been talking for like half an hour, but I have polycystic ovary syndrome. So my little ovaries, they grow all kinds of little fun fluid filled cysts and it's just caused by hormone imbalance. And the way it's been reflected in my experience is like really irregular periods. So I once went like a hundred days without getting my period. And then also through really bad acne, which really the only treatment for either of those is birth control. So I started on birth control at the end of last summer, right around the time that Shauna started on her medications. And I was on birth control for the acne and the periods and then another medication that's a diuretic mm-hmm. for the acne because medicine, I'm not a pharmacy major. <laughs> but my periods got really regular, my acne started to clear up, but the birth control had a lot of estrogen in it because that's the part that clears up the acne. And I went from managing my mental health pretty well to being so depressed. Every day I was like just feeling so low and so awful. And then the diuretic, because I already have a lower blood pressure naturally, was making me just dizzy constantly. So I'm constantly dizzy, constantly feeling just miserable and terrible. And it probably went on like a month before I went back to my healthcare practitioner. I was like, I can't do this. We have to change something because Mm -hmm. it's working, but I am a mess. Do any of you guys feel like there are certain... um, points where I felt like maybe I could have done something differently or maybe had school everybody in the room is nodding right now (laughs) could I have done something differently because I'm going what the heck of course my senior year I'm going to develop something like this that's going to affect me the rest of my life what the heck and you know the number one thing that people say oh well you just are so lucky that you're a dietetic student. And I'm like, no, it just means I know more about what my body's doing and there's more shame. And I can't say more shame than another person, but it's it's really hard because mm-hmm. I'm going, I should have done this. I should have known the signs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I and, yeah. feel that so hard because for a long time, I've had really terrible acne my whole life. My periods have always been irregular since I got them when I was 14. And, you know, you read about it when you're a kid and like we knew how to use Google. So I would Google like acne and, you know, every single website would say, oh, like everyone gets acne. Oh, everyone's periods might be irregular sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand for the longest time that, okay, yes, most people get acne, but most people don't have acne to nearly the extent that I did. And most people don't have irregular periods to nearly the extent that I did. And so for so long, I thought what I was experiencing was normal and I was just not managing it. Mm -hmm. And then finally, when a doctor told me like PCOS, I was like, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. it's not my fault. Like, it's not my fault that I don't get my period. It's not my fault that my skin sucks. There's something wrong with me. And it was like almost a relief. Yeah. Yeah, though, um, I definitely feel that like maybe I should have packed a different lunch that had higher fiber or like maybe I didn't count right like maybe I just did my math wrong and Mm -hmm. like gave too much insulin or not enough insulin but the person who I was really surprised felt a lot of guilt about me having type 1 was my mom Um, because like since I showed such distinctive signs of having type 1 like it was like a three month period where I was really tired I was losing weight I was like eating all the time and just still losing copious amounts of weight so like she felt a lot of guilt about not recognizing that her own child had like something wrong and like I 
don't think that gets acknowledged a lot of times, where it's like the people around you feel a lot of guilt for not maybe saying something or not knowing what to do about the weird symptoms that like the person they love is experiencing. Right. Yeah. I felt really guilty that I didn't address it sooner because I had had symptoms for four to six years before I ever even had that one. And I had been misdiagnosed. Now, looking back, you know these things. And my two years ago, I was up here for an internship and woke up in the middle of the night and just had this alarming headache to the point. I'm not the kind of person who, I mean, oh, I need to go to the ER. I'm just kind of a, I usually let things get as bad as they can before taking <laughs> yeah. care of it yeah. and I and I told Natalie that day I said Natalie like I have to go see a doctor because this is really bad and we went and I was diagnosed with bilateral eustachian tube dysfunction and so she said oh yeah there's fluid buildup in the ears and it was both of them that's what's causing all of these symptoms gave me antibiotics and sent me on my way and probably every year about anywhere between April and June, I would go to the doctor and looking back, it was always ear related. And so I kind of kick myself sometimes that, well, maybe if I would have addressed it whenever I first experienced vertigo <laughs> and talking myself out of, oh, like I have vertigo every couple months. That's totally normal. It happens. Like I just need food because that's what my family would tell me. Well, maybe you're just hungry because you don't eat breakfast. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe you're just hungry and need to eat or maybe you're just stressed or that and so you you go along with it and then you finally get the diagnosis and you're looking back and you start putting all of those dots together and you're like oh I've had this all along mm -hmm. and then you know you have some resentment towards the doctors who kept misdiagnosing you I felt that whereas you know yeah. if I was coming into you every year and you were diagnosing me with some inner ear something or another mm -hmm. How did you not catch it sooner? And you have to kind of rein yourself back and say they're not specialists. It's not, they wouldn't know to look mm -hmm. at it, especially with Meniere's disease because it's very rare and it only presents in about 200,000 people in the United States. And so it's just not very well known. And so you have to, I have to bring myself back in and know that I can't place the blame on them, but I also can't do that for me either because to some degree I did take steps just not the right steps at the time. Yeah, I definitely feel that too. Um, IBS is one of those mystical um, diseases where um, people don't know a lot about it. And at the same time, we don't know about it in the medical field yet because it's different for everyone. And so I remember for a good year of kind of thinking it might be IBS and everything we learned in class, it's probably IBS, hoping it's not something worse. Um, I would go into the doctor and I'd get eye rolls yeah. Oh, I'm a dietetic student. Oh, I roll. I, you know, because you're self-diagnosing. But that's what everybody does, especially if you have knowledge in the field. I'm going, I, this is what I think it is. It can't, you know, be anything else. I hope it's not anything else. And it, yeah, it would be eye rolls. And I'm going, oh my gosh, seriously? And so then finally, when I had that colonoscopy, he went in there and he's like, yeah, you know, um, it looks fine, but there is some, you know, inflammation. And I think that you probably do have IBS. Let's do some more tests um, and, you know, see how that goes. But yeah, so it is one of those things where you kind of have to demand that, um, you know, to be seen, to be taken seriously that way too. Um, so that's really, really hard 
um, to kind of be told, oh, it's normal. And I'm like, no, it's not normal to look six months pregnant every day, you know, yeah. if I have a bad day. And because you can definitely tell you'll be like, oh, my gosh, my waist is so small one day. And I'm like, this is great. And the next day it's like or even over the course of a day. Yeah. My best times during the day are the morning. It's almost like a reset button. And so I'm like, okay, so it's starting fresh. And then just progressively throughout the day, it's just like, just grows bigger. Um, So, yeah, it is one of those things where um, you kind of have to know your body and not be afraid to kind of say this is something's wrong. I think there's also a weird guilt associated with that where, like, you don't want to have something wrong with you. And you don't want to be a burden to everybody else when you're like, I know something's wrong, but I don't want to be, like, the because you're, like, worst, always, like, worst case scenario, you're like, oh, I have cancer, I have something really, really wrong with me, and you're like, but, like, it can be something as simple, I'm using air quotes here, um, as, like, type 1 diabetes, but, like, you're like, I don't want to be that kid who's, like, always doing these, like, weird things and, like, has to be odd compared to everybody else, yeah. and you feel really guilty about that, and you're like, well, I can push it off for a few more days, and, like, I knew something was definitely wrong, but I was like, oh, you know, like... I'm still a teenager, I'm just probably stressed in puberty, and, like, it'll be fine. And I look back now, and that phrase, like, hindsight is twenty twenty, is very much, like, part of my life, where it's like, no, there, there's, like, times I can, like, pinpoint where I was not doing well. Right. And I probably should have been mm-hmm. doing something about it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, I just wanted to be the normal teenager, having a good summer, and, like, being with my friends, not be that weird kid who's like, um, I think I'm really sick and may have cancer and dying. It's fine. Right. Yeah, the months leading up to my um, diagnosis, I remember coming back and telling uh, my classmates, oh, yeah, we think it's IBS. And they're like, ah, that explains why you go to the bathroom every day during class. And it's true. Yeah. I, I laugh about it. I'm like, it's like clockwork yeah. every single day. And um, it's just, you know, urgent and everything. And so, you know, it helped because there was a little bit of sympathy there too. But it also felt like, oh, my gosh, I'm like broken and I am not, you know, I'm not normal. I'm not a normal person. I have to, you know, be close to a bathroom if it's a bad day and that kind of stuff. And people can't relate. And it's so awkward too, to be just like one-on-one with somebody and be like, excuse me, I gotta go, you know, Um, or even then, you know, be in the bathroom with somebody and you're just kind of like, oh, this is awkward. You know, being in public with an issue and especially disease, that is really, really embarrassing and it's really, really hard. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I find out very quickly who has fears of needles. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they're like, you have to do this several times a day. Or like when I used to do injections. Or like I poke myself to give, like test my blood sugar. And like, you have to do this a lot of times a day. And I'm like, yes, because I like living. It's <laughs> nice. And, and they're like, but why don't you do it like less? Like you don't have to do this. And I was like, because I like my eyes and my feet and like all these other things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like, oh, okay well, I'm just going to, like, turn away, and you're like, sure, this does not make me feel any less awkward about having to give insulin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that wraps up part one of this incredible discussion we had about managing chronic illnesses as young adults. We will dive into part two very shortly, so I won't really do much of an outro here. Please keep listening. I really enjoy being able to share my knowledge and my experiences and the knowledge and experiences of other people with my audience. 
Again, if you like what you've heard, please go ahead and give me a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or whatever listening platform you are listening on. Go ahead and tell your friends about me. Share me on Instagram. I'm at FeedThatNation. And I look forward to hearing from you. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation, and you've been listening to Feed That Nation. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon.